0: All right, hello and welcome to episode two of the Unnamed Sean and Jake podcast. Big shout to our friend Ian, big friend of the podcast. He hooked us up with some nice intro music, that cool keyboard riff that you just heard.
1: Longtime supporter. And Sean, I think we should take some time to reflect on the year in podcasting that it was for us.
0: Yeah, big year for us. As we reach the end of the year reached the end of the year another year in the books um hard to believe if if we reflect back on our year in podcasting uh a long road that consisted of one giant three-hour podcast which is a labor of love you know you could argue it's the finnegan's wake or the uh infinite jest of well of podcasts although those those works are in they're they're far less complex and far less nuanced. complex, far less critically acclaimed, uh, yeah. far less important in terms of art and culture. Right. We're off to a good start here in this second podcast. <laughs> I think we've 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 not alienated anyone. We not only haven't alienated anyone our listener base um has given us a false sense of entitlement and I think just general <laughs> general big headedness is really what you could what you could call it Um, so obviously if you listen to the last podcast it was about our top 25 (laughs) albums of 2015 (laughs) which looking back was really it was too much it was ambitious
1: it was ambitious it was a lot of albums I feel like we had some good discussion maybe too
0: much we did have some great discussion you know let's call a spade a spade here it was too long it was too long of a podcast it was too much
1: well I think coming out of the gate uh, with a with a, a a podcast that's nigh on three album, yep. uh, three not albums, forty and slip, three hours <laughs> yep. uh, is is a little much and probably overwhelming to the uh, to the waiting fans. So.
0: To, yeah, not only the waiting fans, but just like the average music fan. More no, not much. even the average music fan. The above average music fan is like okay this is a little too much for me right so i think we learned some lessons from our first podcast we're still learning here it's been a hell
1: of a year thanks for all the support (laughs) you know as we look back it's just (laughs) it's really it's a testament to our listeners what we've been able to accomplish
0: we worked out our sponsors sponsorship issue with sean's basement we're back um we said cut the shit on the phone calls in the middle um, they said no promises, <laughs> yeah. but you can still use the basement. But they've so. been
1: gracious enough and haven't evicted us uh, That's right. at this point.
0: So once again, check out code SEAN for 25% off when you visit Sean's basement. Um, it's a good deal. That literally makes no sense for people who don't listen to podcasts and 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 understand the checkout codes
1: and additionally this doesn't exist and sean's basement is literally his family's basement
0: it is and we're slowly like devolving into our own little world of insanity here we are um so we should get going we should so i think the first thing that we want to talk about is just a little bit of news big news it is big news in the streaming world so jake and i are big spotify users One of the glaring holes in Spotify is its lack of Beatles music. No Beatles catalog. Rumor Mill this week says on Christmas Eve, we're going to get the whole Beatles catalog on Spotify. Jake, are you buying or selling this news? Do you think this is true or false? I'm going to preempt that by saying this is a
1: new game we're trying. Buy or sell. It'll, It'll come back in later pods. So I am... I think buying it, I, I saw it reported in a couple different um, sources, and I gotta say I'm really excited. I think you probably would say it's safe to say I'm the biggest Beatles fan of, I mean anyone I know.
0: That is correct.
1: Yeah, uh, sort of a completely obsessed with the Beatles. Um, in high school, read all of the anthology book, watched all of the anthology DVDs, have listened to every album. Uh, so huge fan. This is exciting because, like you said, this has been like sort of the biggest hole in the Spotify repertoire. Um, And uh, I mean, I don't listen to the Beatles as much as I used to because I've sort of listened ad nauseum for years. And so it's easy enough for me to listen when I
0: want to, but this will be great. It'll be convenient in one place. So, and let me ask you this. You bring up a good point. With you haven't listened as much. Is a reason for that because you rely so much on a streaming service like Spotify, and since it's not there, it's just I can't I can't easily listen.
1: That's one reason I think. Um, but when I have a Beatles fix, that I and the other thing is, is like I got a new laptop. I just jumped ship on my first thought. Mm-hmm. Jumped ship, came to a second thought. Um, my second thought is that I have a new laptop, so none of my old iTunes is on here, which is not a problem because I have Spotify,
0: I have Spotify Premium, pay for my music. Look at this guy, big, Jake, High Roller Jake, yeah. $10 a month on Spotify Premium. $10 a month. Guess what? I do it too, so. We're
1: Whatever. both, you know, we're doing the right thing. We are. We're doing the right thing. <laughs> so, I, uh, when it comes to the Beatles, usually i just pop on, um, on YouTube. Most everything's on YouTube, um, on YouTube. Or if I'm really on a Beatles kick, I'll grab my Anthology box set of remastered CDs and I'll bring one in the car. Do
0: some car listens. That's that's a great idea, yeah. I mean, Does we, that answer your question? It answers my question perfectly. And it was kind of the same deal before Led Zeppelin was on Spotify. Um, it was if I wanted to listen to Led Zeppelin 1, Jake. Or Led Zeppelin 4. Or Houses.
1: All classics.
0: I, all classics. I'd have to... Like you said, go on YouTube, or what I would do is pop them on the car. So, what this is allowing us to do now, if this news is true, is craft some pretty awesome playlists with Beatles catalog. Um, so, in terms of the question, buy or sell, I'm also buying this news. I think it's time that this happens. You know, it's t- almost 2016. Almost every other artist is on here, with the exception of a few here or there, and um, the the only reason why i would maybe sell on this is because what indication has um apple music like had before that they would do something like this you know because the beatles and apple music you saw how long they held out from itunes they've been that last bastion of kind of you know artists that aren't on there that's holdouts right that's kind of the only reason why i would think maybe this is just a rumor but I'm buying it. I think it's time. I think it's going to happen.
1: I'm glad you're buying it. And I, th- I think that is true. There is the the chance that this is rumors. I think, but the, or these are rumors, got to have subject-verb agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that more than likely this is true, and I agree there's a chance it's not, or that it's true with some kind of caveat. Like, there's somehow, because they're the Beatles and because they're like the biggest band of all time, they've they've finagled their way into... Working out some sort of paid thing with Spotify, I feel like there is a real chance of this being some kind of strings attached situation.
0: I could and put- I fear that I could potentially see that too. And I'll ask you this as a follow up as well. Let's say you were a non premium member, and the deal with the Beatles being brought onto Spotify is that it was only for premium members. Would that make you go with that and buy premium? Um, so if it's me maybe although you know what even if it's me
1: maybe not because i i have if you're a huge beatles fan and you already have all of their material on cd or on you know digital whatever mp3 i don't know how music works these days (laughs) mp3 whatever it is um if you have it then there's not much need to necessarily use use it on spotify um and and upgrade just be for one band but i mean it's possible and i think um you know I don't know that a more casual Beatles fan would necessarily do it either. Well, so I don't know
0: how effective it would be. I think the argument you could make with the more casual Beatles fan is maybe they don't have all of the CDs. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't have the collection that Wait, you not, have.
1: Wait, Not everyone got the box set of every CD. <laughs> no, remaster. no, not
0: everyone did that, weirdly, weirdly enough.
1: All right. Well, I mean, they, a few years ago, so.
0: <laughs> They've had time, I know. They've had time I, to get it. Yeah. You know. Keyword being casual there, but maybe they don't. Maybe they don't have all of those, oh, that and they compute. <laughs> they want to get their fix. So that might be a reason why that they would maybe upgrade, especially if they were already thinking about upgrading in general. Right. Um, either way, I think it's an interesting um, movement for streaming in general, and an inter- interesting development um, for for the Beatles for sure.
1: One more interesting note on this before we move on is that I saw in one of the news stories that I read. Uh, or that I skimmed um, because who reads uh, is that the the first song that will be made available is Hey Jude. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, I think that is the most stereotypical pick that you could make for the first song becoming available. I don't disagree with it. It's obviously not my favorite Beatles song, and that's that's a that's a podcast for another day mm. to get into you know favorites and what would be the right pick there. Agreed. You know. I think it's fine. Good, good for them.
1: And I think that "Hey Jude" is not necessarily the most likely. I think "Let It Be" might be the most likely choice. Okay, "Let yeah, It I'll Be" is that. like the pretty much everyone loves that song, even though I think it's a little overrated. All right, I like "Hey Jude" even more. I like that it's the. I like. I
0: think you. It's, it's, I think you could make the same argument for like "All You Need Is Love" or a "Strawberry Feel. You, well, that's there's the
1: problem with the Beatles is that they had. That they really aren't playing on a fair playing field right. because they had I, th- I I my numbers might be off I think they had eight thousand seven hundred and twenty eight hits.
0: Yeah, they number did. one
1: smashes. <laughs> a Beatles one is a, is an anthology series of its own.
0: It's true. It's true. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I I'm think, excited. You know, honestly, like if you wake up Christmas morning having the Beatles available on Spotify is just going to be that much better. Oh, it sure will. It's a so. Christmas treat. So everyone, uh, keep your eyes open for that. Big development in the streaming world, and as far as we know, because we are industry insiders and experts, that will be available on Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, all the above. Any streaming service that you have should be available.
1: Breaking the news here. You heard it here first. You probably didn't, though. You definitely didn't. Because if you're listening to this, it's probably a few days after we recorded it, and maybe Christmas already. Yeah. You might be on a little Christmas break. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays! Uh, yeah,
0: to you and yours. This is this, this was... is actually this is technically our Christmas pod. Um, we
1: didn't play the Christmas intro.
0: No, we didn't because we don't have one. We don't. Um, so, but yeah, ha- happy holidays, happy uh, happy New Year. You know, depending on when you're listening. But with that being said, um, I think we'll dive into the the first segment of our our pod this week, and that is to just kind of look back at 2015 and talk about some of the albums that didn't come out in 2015, but that we discovered for the first time this year. So we alluded to this on our previous show where Jake and I both listened to a lot of music this year. That wasn't just 2015 music. That was old classics that we had never gotten into. You know, David Bowie, The Smiths, The Replacements, Beach Boys. Um, Beach Boys. You know, there was a lot of artists that we listened to this year that... As music fans, I don't know how we missed a lot of these, Jake. I don't either, and and
1: not only just artists, but really, like,
0: timeless albums. Like, Talking
1: Heads, Remain in Light. Like you said, Replacements, Let It Be. Um, you know, uh, I listened to some Pavement this year. Slanted yeah. and Enchanted, Crooked Rain, Crooked yeah. Rain. Pixies, you know, these, some of these albums. Doolittle. Even A Modest Mouse. Yeah. You know, we got Moon into in those
0: albums. Like, these are just mainstays of... Not just like the indie rock world, but just like music in general. Um, and I think the three that we, that we wanted to get into a little bit more detail on today were just David Bowie in general. Because, you know, that is an artist where it blew my mind that we didn't get into him sooner than this year. Right. Um, and then, you know, we'll, Jake and I both have an individual album that we just want to kind of highlight. But I think the first topic here like i said is david bowie and yeah. just jake what were your well your to, thoughts
1: to dive into bowie i think to echo what you said before the interesting thing about david bowie is that like the beatles like led zeppelin like the rolling stones like the who bands that we were into in high school and sort of got, or in college really in high school for years now we've been listening to them we've actually have kind of exhausted our listening to these bands bob dylan you know like these classic artists who are totally must listens for serious music fans and I don't really know why it happened, but David Bowie slipped through the cracks. I think there was something sort of daunting about his image, or or something like that. And I first got into Bowie at all in college. I listened to the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust when I was in college. I liked it, but never further explored it. Got a few CDs, but kind of didn't uh, continue listening. So this year, as we discovered some new albums by Bowie, um, I don't know. I think it, we realized just how great his catalog is and how essential it is so i mean what were some of your favorite we listened to quite a few we
0: we did so uh, you bring up a good point that you had already discovered rise and fall of Ziggy stardust which is basically his i think if you're getting into bowie that's probably the first one to start with it's got a lot of the hits on it that you probably know from the radio Um, if you saw the martian it has Starman. yeah exactly so like there's a lot of which was featured in the martian by the way starring matt damon that's what i said Oh. Is it if you saw the Oh, Marshall? oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. Sorry. Yeah, no, That's fine. Sorry. You
1: know, one of us is a professional.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I think <laughs> that's joke. that's the one you kind of start with. Yeah. Uh And that was one that I hadn't really gotten into. So that was the one I started with and I was like this is a great album. This is so good. Yeah. These are songs that I'd been hearing for years on the radio and I'm sure all of our listeners right now are like, "Yeah, Sean, I've known about David Bowie, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust for years now." What are you talking about? And it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's, you know, we went back and we were like, all right, well, after that, like, let's check out Hunky Dory. This is on every best album of all time list ever. It's Hunky Dory. Mm-hmm. Life on Mars is on is on that, that album. Changes is on that album. Like, these are classics. They truly are.
1: And uh, Hunky Dory is up there. So for anyone listening, we also ranked... Our best discovered albums of the of this year. Um, we're not going to go into a three hour pod nope. on that one because you know it's a it's a lot of content. But what, what I'll say is that um, out of my top four discovered, so granted, Rise and Fall wasn't on there because I listened to it years ago, but uh, Hunky Dory was on that list, and so was Low, David Bowie's 1977 album. I think is it the first of his Berlin trilogy, or is it the no um, wait, I th- is it? I think it is first. I think it goes low heroes station and to
0: station we should or look station to station before
1: even no, no matter the case it's one of his Berlin trilogy which was um, Bowie I think coming off of his thin white Duke phase which was when his he embodied this character who was like this sort of he would dress up on stage like with a shirt and tie suit and tie and like he was insanely addicted to cocaine during this period yep. and so I think this could be wrong, but I think this is, like, right after that period. And so, Lowe is another really interesting one where he starts experimenting with some synthesizer and, like, kind of ambient rock. I think with some influence and some, I think, production from Brian Eno. Um, a, a, really a, one of the first to really get into ambient music. And, and Lowe and Hunky Dory out on my list. So, that's a huge, that's a long tangent. But what I'm getting at is that Lowe and Hunky Dory both ended up in the top four of my discovered albums. Uh, Low being number one, Hunky Dory being number four. Both of them are packed with great songs.
0: They are. So, Jake brings up a good point. So, I think you can sum up the big three Bowie albums that we listened to were Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust, Hunky Dory, and then Low. And I think the fourth one that's kind of ancillary to all of this uh, ended up being Aladdin Sane. Mm-hmm. A good album in its own right, but I think those first three were the ones that we listened to the most.
1: And and just to verify...
0: Um... Low was the first of the Brooklyn Trilogy. Okay, cool. Released in January of 77. Cool. So, you know, just a really interesting career from Bowie, and it's yeah. one, like you said, that we just kind of let slip through the cracks. Yeah. And we almost ignored in, like, a couple years ago, I think it was 2012 or 2013, he came out with a new album, it got great reviews, he's coming out with a new album soon, and it's already getting a lot of hype. Like, this is a guy who had probably one of the most consistent careers and successful careers yeah. in music that we just kind of ignored, you know. When you compare them to somebody, I think the only one you can really think of who's had this long of a run is maybe a Bob Dylan. And if you're looking at consistency overall, I think you got to give the edge to Bowie, right? Or... Well,
1: his Bob Dylan's '80s and '90s work, especially '80s work, doesn't give do him any favors. Bob Dylan's right, um, and I think like with Bowie. The thing I was really struck by was how kind of accessible it all was. I, for some reason, had this impression based on his image and based on the fact that I didn't really know anyone who listened to Bowie that his music would be in some ways inaccessible. And I mean... You probably don't want to jump in with an album like Low. You, I think you want to start with Rise and Fall or, of Ziggy Stardust or, or maybe Hunky Dory. But even Low, like if you if you like anything electronic, if you like Radiohead or some like anything that I mean this this album has influenced a lot of that the stuff we're hearing now in indie rock. And so uh, what I was stricken by or struck by stricken, I think you could go either. I'm gonna go with strucken. Okay. What I was strucken by, <laughs> uh, to be all grammatical on you, is that Bowie's astoundingly good songwriter like Mm -hmm. a song like like life on mars just this really interestingly written beautiful melody kind of weird abstract lyrics and then on top of it all bowie's voice is like none other it's just the quality of it i mean i I probably don't need to describe it most people have heard david bowie's voice Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's something to be marveled at i think it is awesome
0: yeah you make a great point about how the the things he's doing on low specifically really influence what we're listening to today and for modern audiences you know low i think is one of those albums where even if you know bowie it might not be one you think of right away and honestly the reason why that i decided to get into it was and we're going to get into this on the second half of the pod is it was pitchfork the the music review website is they went back and they did a top albums list list of the 70s 80s and 90s i was looking through the 70s one Low was number one on their top seventies albums list. Shocking! Think of all the great albums that came out in the nineteen seventies, and they have Low at number one.
1: It's arguably the most the most packed
0: decade for for rock music. And you could also make the argument that nineteen seventy nine, the year that Low came out, seventy 77, oh, seventy seven. I'm sorry. That's all right. I was gonna say those that late seventies period was maybe from seventy seven to seventy nine. Arguably one of the best. For music being released, you have London Calling, you have uh, Fleetwood Mac rumors, you have Low, you have I think Television Television coming out that you with Marquee Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marquee 77? Moon was seventy nine. Seventy nine yeah. was it? Okay. Um. So you have a lot of these albums. Joy Division. Joy Division in yeah. seventy nine. Like these a lot are of stuff. these are paramount albums that influenced the music that is coming out now that we're listening to now, and I think it kind of gets. You know, not ignored, but it, I don't think it gets as much attention as it deserves.
1: One of the interesting things, last thing I'll say about Low, is that you have sort of a split on side one, side two. Now, there's not many record listeners out there, but, but if, if you, you can pick up on this trend, even from listening to the album through without a split in it, is that the first half, while having some instrumentals, is, is more poppy, and Bowie's doing some things that are a little more conventional, albeit with some very interesting sounds in there, some electronic sounds, some weird guitar tones. And then on the second half, with songs like I think you pronounce it Warzawa or Warsauza, uh, Art Decade, Weeping Wall, Subterraneans. These are like sort of lengthy, haunting, vocal and and uh, electronic tracks. And Subterraneans and I think Warsaw are songs that have um, Bowie singing in made up languages, just, really, just made, up, just fake, just things that sounded nice.
0: I actually didn't know that. Pretty crazy. That's really interesting. It's really
1: interesting. So it's, I mean, this is an album I can't recommend enough. And as is Hunky Dory, because if you... So if you want to get into Bowie, I'd say start with Rise and Fall Ziggy Stardust. Then start out with Hunky Dory. At least listen to those two. You
0: owe yourself those two. If you're just a music fan in general, you don't even have to like Bowie. I think just as a music fan in general, you should check out those two albums. just Without a doubt. I, I think just in terms of a, a historical context. Um, but yeah, so I think David Bowie was arguably our biggest discovery of the year just in general for just the...
1: because we hadn't i mean this is a guy who influenced so much and we would right. listened to zero of right. virtually
0: um so jake do you want to hop into maybe one of the other most influential yep. albums that we both discovered this year
1: i do so uh there were a lot to pick from because i and you listen to we listened to a lot of new albums this year i think the one that we decide, well, that I decided, I'd like to highlight is "Loveless" by My Bloody Valentine. Um, so this is a band I had. I'll be honest and saying I never had any interest in listening to because I didn't know what they were about. I thought, I assumed My Bloody Valentine was like a, a, a sort of a, a scream metal band, like.
0: That is a great point, and I thought the exact same thing. I was like, "Ooh, My Bloody Valentine! They must be some sort of like hardcore band that I'm not gonna like." And it always, like, blew my mind that they were so critically acclaimed because usually, like, those, like, hardcore bands aren't ones that are, like, that are acclaimed at all. So I was, like, nervous to get into them. And I figured, hey, there must be something to this. Let's check this out.
1: And what it turns out to be, and obviously for any of my Bloody Valentine fan, this will be obvious, but for anyone who hasn't listened to them, it's this really interesting... Very influential album, because what they did on this album... I think his name's Kevin Smith? What's his name?
0: Uh, I don't remember what his name this is. This is research I should have done beforehand. Yeah, this is called Preparation.
1: Which we didn't do. Um, the lead singer and, really, songwriter yeah. and, I think, lead guitar player for the band kind of revolutionized the idea of ambient music not amb- or, like, sort of a layered... Yeah, ambient music, I guess, with, with hardcore distortion on the guitar effects. So what you have is a really hard edge sounding like sort of aesthetic, but with these layers of guitars that are just so melodic and, and with so much going on and just these haunting little I mean they may as well be wordless choruses, wordless vocals because you can't understand them. It's sort of just a high pitched sort of vocal from the leads from the couple lead singers. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think the important thing to remember is although they were doing some experimental things and they were pushing the boundaries of what people understood in terms of guitar and production, they were also doing this with some pretty serious pop sensibilities here. Absolutely. Like, if you go back and listen to these songs, like, some of them are really, really catchy. Like, they're doing really cool stuff that's experimental, but at the same time, they're still great songs, which I think is important to remember when you're talking about influential music. You, I, I think... The pitchforks of the world and again this is something we'll get into heap praise on people just for being experimental and sometimes the songs themselves aren't always great
1: and that's not a complaint you could make about this album at all
0: because
1: pretty much all the way through i mean there are some songs that are less than immediately accessible but there are plenty like the first track um which is called what is the first track called do you remember off the top of your head
0: i do not let me see and this is what happens when we don't to, to to all the listeners at home when you listen to my year in music in Spotify. Said so I listened to almost five thousand songs this year, yeah. um. So you're going to
1: only for, shallow
0: forget some names.
1: So only shallow is the first track. Then songs like sometimes, um, and songs like uh, come in alone. Like these are like the truly poppy, catchy melodies. If you are into something like if if. You're not necessarily hung up on the fact that the lyrics aren't front and center and you can't understand what he's saying. A lot of people complain in music about they can't understand immediately what a vocalist is saying. It might not be your thing, but it's definitely worth checking out for anyone who is just into sort of tone, melody, atmosphere in
0: music. This is like a must listen. Two more quick points before we move on on My Bloody Valentine. One is Jake brings up a good point about the lyrics being inaudible. If you listened last week, you know that I'm a lyrics guy. That is one of my biggest connections to music. It did not prohibit my enjoyment of this album at all because in this sense, he's using his voice and the quote-unquote lyrics as another instrument and another layer in all of the the noise or the guitar layers that are happening here, which is to its credit. The other point I want to make is that this album and this particular sound was also a huge influence on a lot of other '90s bands, Smashing Pumpkins being one of them. Mm-hmm. And then also just production in general, and like what you could do with a guitar. Um, you know, even just reading the Wikipedia page, they go, they say, they're like, this revolutionized what people thought they could do with a guitar because by the time the '90s rolled around, people were like, oh, everything's been done before. Like, but this kind of revolutionized that. Uh, and and just brought it to another level.
1: And it brings to the forefront the idea that you can have distortion and things that are traditionally looked at as ugly sounding or like more aggressive sounding, but make them beautiful Mm -hmm. with other things. One more quick story before we wrap up on this album is that, um, this is, I I thought, kind of interesting. So we had discussed, when we were getting into this album, I think you pointed out that this band on the tour for Loveless had one of the most notoriously loud, ear-shattering uh live acts in music history and so i was having a music discussion with one of my coworkers dan this week um and he we were emailing back and forth about music and he was talking about um death gaze which is a mixture of of like kind of like death metal and and shoegaze wow. and i said so i was writing back to him and said have you ever listened to my bloody valentine this guy's he's a little bit older probably i think he's in his late 30s 40s and he said um and he said yeah he's like i loved loveless when it came out and he sent me an article from the New York Times, and he's like, "This is this article came out when they came to New York. I saw them in New York. Um, when when this album was big, he's like, I was obsessed with this album back. And the uh, article was from 1992. It was uh, from February 1992, and I was discussing it with him today because I was born in 1992. As you was and Sean, I both, yep, ninety ninety two babies. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting. And he was saying that he confirmed the fact that it was in
0: fact." absurdly loud so for for people who might not have heard the album it's picture like people on stage picture like a few guitars on stage whether that was the case or not just picture it (coughs) (coughs) excuse me (laughs) just picture like i could have covered for you i could have like yeah i know i know instead i let you flounder didn't even throw you an oar picture like a half dozen guitars on stage, all with the gain just completely turned up, and then the amps turned up to 11. And then just everyone just hitting those strings, like, constantly.
1: And all the echo, the and echo all and the, the reverb echo.
0: just bouncing around in these little venues. In, like, these small club settings. Like, just picture that, and then uh, just, if you've ever been to a loud concert before, like we had discussed in our last pod about Viet Cong... Picture that, probably times 10.
1: He he said he said to me in his email, I think the, his words were that it was criminally loud. Yeah,
0: people, from what I've read, were frightened. They they had to leave. They, <laughs> they were, like, visibly scared.
1: <laughs> it, it can be scary. It is, it is scary. It sounds weird to say, but it can be if it's too loud. Yeah. Anyways, I thought that was a fun fact. It is a fun he fact. He sent me one of the
0: loudest tours of all time. One of the
1: loudest tours of all time, and one of my coworkers went to see them live in New York City and confirms that it was, in fact dangerously loud he saw them with dinosaur junior whoa
0: yeah wow kind of an interesting bill that Um, is really interesting um so yeah that that was one of our most influential listens of the year so the other one that i wanted to get into was uh the queen is dead by the smiths and jake this is another one where like how i know you had gotten into it previously to this year how did i not get into this how uh, Morrissey is a uh, say what you will about him as a person, a genius songwriter,
1: yeah, lyricist and vocalist, really interesting stuff that he does. And, um, I don't know, I mean, I think it's just you didn't get to it or whatever. But I, I think obviously, The Queen is Dead is like it's an amazing album. And to, to go back, I mean, I got into this album <clears> in high school, I listened to it a couple times and never really revisited it. It wasn't until college a few years ago when I was nearing the end of college that I really ramped up on my, my listens to this album. I mean, the songwriting is incredible. The production's incredible. The guitar playing is uh, is really great.
0: So I'll say this about The Smiths: this and for people listening, you probably know this better than anybody. The Smiths are always labeled as this like sad person band, and while they do sing about like themes of loneliness and sadness and like you know those those kinds of things, their their tone itself isn't that sad.
1: Well, no, and it's and it's. While there's a sad aesthetic in yeah. terms of, like, the instrumentation, and I can see where it influenced bands, maybe, like, the National, yep. and, and bands, like, that go for a sound that is, like, more melancholic, I think that, like, there's a lot of humor on here. There's so much humor.
0: Um, Vicar in a tutu. Vicar in a tutu. Um, frankly Mr. Shankly. Frankly Mr. Shankly is the perfect example of, like, this tongue-in-cheek funny song that's still a great song. And, I you know, I think... It was a similar thing that happened with My Bloody Valentine where I looked and I was like, oh, it's the Smiths. It's this monolith of musical history that is hard to get into. I shouldn't even bother. What I didn't realize was they're actually incredibly accessible. They're pop sensibilities through the roof, melodies, hooks, you name it, it's there. It's just, It's great.
1: I think for a, if you like modern indie rock, there's really no reason you wouldn't like no. The Smiths, and there's really no reason you wouldn't like The Queen is Dead. And as I look through the, the, the track list here, it's just, it's just great song after great song. I mean, you start off with The Queen is Dead, which is six and a half minutes.
0: An interesting choice to start with a true. six and a half minute song right off the bat, but it couldn't be a better start to the album. It's true. I think it sets the tone really well. And then, you know, I think the highlight that everybody's probably heard, especially if you've seen 500 Days of Summer, is There's a Light That Never Goes Out. That's that's a highlight. But the ones that I didn't even know about were, like, um, Cemetery Gates or... Big Mouth Strikes Big Again. Big Mouth Strikes Again. Like, these are such great songs. Yeah. It's like, I'm laughing at myself right now, the fact that it took me until the year 2015 to get into this. And I called myself a music fan before that. Well, I thought I, I thought I was pretty into music before I listened to this album. Like, what an idiot I was.
1: Well, the thing is, is like, it's Morrissey... The music itself is is great and actually pretty influential on in the sounds we're hearing today and that we've heard through the last few decades. But Morrissey puts it over the top because he's he is so funny. He's engaging as a singer. He's fun to listen to and like sort of be around during an album. And he's it's just it makes for a really fun, commanding listen. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no point in this where where I ever want to like skip around no. or, or move through a track. You no. know, and he does like boy. He and the thing is is like not only is he funny, not only is he a good lyricist, but he has. Some really decent vocal chops. The, oh, the yeah. boy with the, th- the thorn in his side, when he does that kind of like pseudo-yodeling. Yes. He kind of sort of yodels his way through the end. Of the, it's not really technically yodeling, but it's kind of this, it sounds like it almost. Mm-hmm. This high sort of popping into falsetto thing. I mean, it, it's just, it's really cool what he does.
0: It is. The album as a whole, like, what, what else can be said about it? Like, it, it's just a classic, and if you're into, like you said, Jake, modern indie rock this absolutely influenced everything that's coming out now
1: it did and i so another point is that in the department of great album cover great album title the queen is dead oh, it's, is great it's up there awesome and... album title and here's my question for you yep um since we talked specifically about these two albums better album cover oh. the queen is dead so this okay, is okay i, I for, actually i yeah the queen is dead or loveless
0: so let me preface this by saying this is going to be something that jake and i First of all, we love to break down. Second of all, that we will continue to break down on this podcast. His <laughs> best album name, best album cover, best anything. We'll just we'll just rank everything. So we'll
1: go better title, we'll go better cover. All right.
0: The better title is The Queen is Dead. The better album itself is Loveless. Or the better album art is Loveless. I
1: agree on both counts. The, the cover of Loveless is this really cool... Look it up right now. You're on Google right now. You're Everyone, on your computer. Yep. Go, go check it out. My,
0: my Bloody Valentine, Loveless. I will say this. The reason why I love the Loveless album cover, the album cover looks like this album sounds. It does.
1: It's this pink, hazy cover. Layer.
0: It looks with, like there's layers looks, of the same photo. Of a, of a guitar. Yeah. Of this. I, th- I think it's a Strat. I don't know. What is it? I think it's a Jaguar, right? Let's look it up. I'm pretty. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a Fender Jaguar or a Mustang. I never know what the difference between those two is.
1: They look very similar. Oh, you're totally right. Yep, yep you're totally. Why would my bloody Valentine? I don't think would play a Strat to begin with. No. Um, so the Queen is Dead. I think is the better album title. It just. It. it I mean, it's just more compelling than something like Loveless. Um, and it, it. It's really evocative um, of like sort of where Morrissey and the Smiths are going to end up, uh, where they're going to play politically and socially, like what their views are. You kind of get that right from the title. Mm-hmm as if meat is murder wasn't enough
0: Um <laughs> this militant like yeah, um, yeah.
1: but I, I so we agree there we agree Queen is Dead I think is, is a better album title and uh, oh, and this is go. another go.
0: classic Sean's Basement phone call um, which Speaks to our professionalism yeah. and it's quickly becoming one of our mainstays in one of our calling cards. I received um, pun intended.
1: I usually can't sift through all the fan mail, although, the because all right. I, I we try to do a mailbag thing and when we can, yeah, I'm gonna wait for a second. So, as uh, I couldn't sift through all of it, but I but but what I kept what people kept coming back to time after time, email after email, was we loved the phone, we loved the the interruptions and the lack of editing. That was, this was,
0: this was a resounding, a resounding. Across the board, people loved it. They loved a little peek into our personal life. Or not even mine. It's, it's Sean's parents' personal life. Yeah. That was my mom's college calling for a donation. So, donate. Donate. Donate now. Maybe those phone calls stop. Anyways, moving on. Uh, Basically, Jake and I listened to a ton of classic albums. I just want to rifle off a few that I know we both listened to. Bell and Sebastian, if you're feeling sinister. Wolf Parade, Apologies to the Queen Mary. Weezer, Pinkerton, uh, Modest Mouse, Lonesome Crowded West, and The Moon in Antarctica. I've got some as well. Uh, And then I'll just quickly say um, The Replacements, Tim and Let It Be. And then, Jake, what do you got?
1: Just to highlight a few others. I personally, Sean has long been into it, but I got into Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water. Maybe the album we should have talked about. Because there's there's a pod in
0: there. Because it's i i have no words on a podcast all about words and speaking i have no words for this album jake
1: and that concludes our podcast That has died and has no more words pavement crooked rain crooked rain pavement um slanted and enchanted <laughs> pavement <laughs> wowie Sowie. didn't <laughs> listen to that one will listen to that one um miles davis bitches brew television marky e. moon i you also that?
0: listen to marky e. moon yep. yep
1: beach boys with smile and surfs up paul yep. mccartney with ram and then i'll give a shout to dismemberment plan with emergency and i this oh, is a really interesting late 90s album interesting um considered sort of uh, one of the albums that really kicked off the indie cool. revolution. i'll have to
0: check that out very well um, cool also you mentioned simon and garfunkel bridge over troubled water I also wanted to give a quick shout to Graceland by Paul Simon, Ooh. which I is always to that one a few times, which is always touted as one of those like you have to listens. I think it might be a tiny bit overrated, still really good though. Still maybe really, technically
1: really good. overrated, but I think at the time it was probably a big like such yeah, a huge deal yeah, because you're probably this guy. Right. I think it's Paul Simonin, actually of the Clash. I saw a quote by him where he's talking about how rock is for young people, but Paul Simon released a great adult rock album.
0: I think. That sums that up perfectly. Yeah. I, I feel like it's almost a kickoff of like adult contemporary music almost like, yeah. like it's the themes aren't exactly exciting
1: or no. like, but it's, it's fun. It's a nice album yeah. and it's like beautifully recorded and it's clearly a songwriter it, like who just hasn't left his prime. And right. It's,
0: no, Absolutely. Know. Absolutely. So that kind of concludes our look back on 2015 from our personal listening music experience. What we thought would be interesting to do was to kind of turn it around on the music industry in general, specifically Pitchfork, who is just a titan in the industry of music reviews um, and and music criticism. And this is a very polarizing website, so I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Pitchfork. You probably have a lot of preconceived notions about Pitchfork and about what they represent, I will say, I'll speak for Jake and I, that Pitchfork is a resource that we go to a lot. We read them, we respect their reviews, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read them, but we also take everything they say with a grain of salt, because they're not always the most accurate.
1: Well, and What I would say is that Pitchfork, so essentially, if you've never read a Pitchfork review, if you're not familiar with Pitchfork Media, essentially, like, they... They're, what they've sort of gained fame for, I would say, is that they have never shied away from giving just absolute, just bottom-of-the-barrel, totally terrible reviews to albums. Um, they famously gave Jet, the the early 2000s indie, not indie, uh, Garage Rock um, smash hit makers, <laughs> a, a 0. 0.0 out of 10. And in lieu of a written review, the content of the review was a youtube video embedded on the review which was a video of a chimpanzee urinating in its own mouth so that is the most extreme example but they'll give albums like twos out of ten three and a half out of ten so essentially and they're they're very strongly opinionated they, they take their place as tastemakers very very seriously and so what i'll say is that personally pitchfork polarizes even me because while i i enjoy using them as a resource to find new music and, and pretty much usually enjoy the albums that they recommend, I find their style to be somewhat grating and to be somewhat overly sort of... It's like presumptuous. I feel like they assume that they sort of know it all kind of thing.
0: They absolutely do that. You bring up a great point that they take their roles as quote-unquote makers really seriously. They're a little far up their own ass in terms <laughs> of what they think is... <laughs> is is they I don't think they understand what the word opinion is or subjectivity is. They deal in absolutes and facts when it comes to their reviews and their opinions. So, when you look at something like their end of the year list, which is, you know, probably one of the most popular end of the year lists. So, the one we're talking about today is the top 50 albums of 2015 list. So, right off the bat, the point that I want to make here, Jake, is they seemed like they shied away from n- not mainstream indie rock, because that's a little bit of an oxymoron, but um, I, I don't even know the word that I'm looking for, but just kind of like your normal run-of-the-mill indie rock, indie folk, those types of things, they kind of shied away from that, and they went heavy on electronic music, R&B, rap, yep. um, electro-pop, those types of things that's what they went heavy on you can probably count on one hand the amount of like indie rock or like singer songwriter kind of indie rock albums that are on this list
1: well and just for context let's look at the top 10 for example yeah. you got number 10 Kamasi Washington The Epic which is a three hour jazz album that right. your boy listened to you got at number 9 Courtney Barnett sometimes I think sometimes I just uh, sometimes I sit and think and sometimes I just sit a mouthful uh, a rock album yep which yeah. then you have at 8 Miguel Wildhart an R&B album then you have at 7 D'Angelo and I think in the Vanguard in the Vanguard which is a, another R&B record Sufjan Stevens is maybe falls into that indie sort of folky rock genre yep. Tame Impala Currents is number 5 you could argue this is an electronic album y- and, yeah. it, and it probably is I mean I think his last album was rock. Then with four, you have Vince Staples, um,
0: which is... Summertime 06, which is a straight-up rap album. Number just,
1: three, yep. you have Grimes, Art Angels, which is electronic. O- kind of
0: the electronic electronic pop genre, yep.
1: Number two, you get Jamie XX, another electronic producer album. And then yep. number one, you got Kendrick with To Pimp a Butterfly. So just for perspective, there's not a whole lot of rock on there. No. And and But at the same time, can we really say they missed the mark so much?
0: No. If you're looking at this top ten, I I have no qualms with this top ten. I think it makes sense in the context of 2015 and the music that really, really mattered in 2015. And this kind of leads me to a larger point about music in 2015. And I I will shout out Ian Cohen, who's actually one of the main reviewers for Pitchfork. He went on Twitter last week when when this list came out and he said, you know, am I upset that more, like, indie rock didn't make it on the end of the year list? Yes, but... You know, when To Pimp a Butterfly by Kendrick Lamar is coming out, like, you really need to bring the heat to be able to compete. And the reality is, that's not something that's happening in indie rock in 2015. And he specifically said, you know, this college rock revivalism isn't going to cut it when you're going up against the Kendrick Lamars of the world. It's just not going to happen. And I think, Jay, a perfect example is, like, Proto-Martyr, Ott, um... You know, even to an extent, I think you could say uh, the world is a beautiful place. Like, these are albums where this sound and this style has been done before. You know, you could argue that Out is a ripoff of pavement. You could argue that some of these other bands, while they're doing their own thing and being creative in their own right, these sounds have been kind of done before. And what Pitchfork really looks for is for artists to push the envelope on what it means to be in a specific genre. They want genre definers and people who will transcend genre and transcend what they think music means.
1: Well, I think one of the things that's happening right now with rock music is that every, probably decade or so, you have one or two, a couple big revivals in rock. And I think the reason is because people sort of rediscover the guitar, the bass, the drums, and sort of learn new ways to to work with those instruments and make interesting new sounds because it's easy for a genre of music to fall into the same rut when something becomes popular so i think the perfect example is um you you look back to the early 2000s with the strokes the white stripes um you know the black keys to an extent bands like that who who and it was called sort of the garage rock revival um and i think what happened in 2015 and you know 2014 even we're not seeing bands that are doing something uh you know, particular, and, and here's the thing, is that bands like Ott, bands like Proto-Martyr, uh, Courtney Barnett, they're doing interesting, great things in the genre of rock, but are they making the defining statements of music for this year? They're really not. Or do they, are they emblematic of music in 2015? They're not. No. Nope. So uh, while rock, I think the distinction here is that there was there were good rock albums released this year, there were great rock albums released this year, the best albums were not rock albums nope. by and large for nope. the most part and I think this is an interesting thing to discuss for two probably rock fans I think I mean yeah I it, think if I were to say what my favorite genre is it might be rock it probably is rock
0: yeah so if you're that's a great point if and that's
1: and that's easy because rock is a huge genre exactly, that umbrella exactly, under exactly, like 30,000 exactly. sub genres
0: it's true uh, if you, same for me if you're gonna ask me what's your favorite genre of music I would do the umbrella of indie rock because that encompasses so much but that being said Indie rock is not well represented on this list. Even if we go back, Jake, outside of the top 10, you're seeing Arca. You're seeing um, Floating Points. You're seeing Future. Um, you know, Julia Holter, uh, kind of an a experimental pop artist. You're FKA seeing Twigs. FKA Twigs. Drake. You know, Bjork. Young Thug. You, you know, you're not seeing bands. You're These are... More experimental artists and what Pitchfork has done, and this kind of goes back to a, a criticism of, of Pitchfork, is I think they value genre-defining and or transcendent artists more than they do people who kind of stay in their lane and just do do something good, maybe not—or gr- or even do it great, but don't do it—you know, they don't transcend anything. And I think a perfect example of this— is if you go back and you look at their reviews this year, what did they give the highest reviews to? The Electronic Tame Impala. Music, Tame Paul You know, these these people who are doing a little bit different, who do they give the lowest reviews to? The Death Cab for Cuties of the world, who they're right. giving like a 5.2 on. Right. Does that album deserve a 5.2? Probably not. I mean, it's not great. It's not Death, Cab, Death Cab's best album by any stretch. But it's, it's certainly not a bad album. It's not a bad album.
1: And it's something that I think you have to take for granted with Pitchfork now is that if you are if so if you're getting into music, if there if there are bands you like, listen to their albums regardless of what Pitchfork says because yep. like a band like Death Cab for Cutie, they're going to trash them time and time again. They it they've shown it. I mean, unless Death Cab comes out with a spoken word reggae electronic right. fusion album <laughs> and blows the doors off of everyone (laughs) with this stylistic revolution you know they're not they're gonna give them fives they're gonna give them sixes they're not gonna you know because what like you say pitchfork their focus their real emphasis is on breaking ground breaking new ground moving into new territory and i think the, the list the list um their top 50 albums um you know, it's emblematic of that. It sh- it's, it's, you know, you can you can tell. That being said, though, I mean, would you argue, like, are there rock albums you'd argue belong in the top 10 that aren't there?
0: Not in the top 10. I would argue, yes, the top 50. I would argue The World is a Beautiful Place yep. belongs in the top 50. Um, I would ar- also argue that something like Beach Slang um, is deserving of being in the top 50, or even, you know, modern baseball, one that we loved and that got a lot of love from Ian Cohen. I don't or, think
1: they reviewed that. And they AD. didn't even
0: review it. I mean, I think, you know, even a youth lagoon. Like, these are... Which, and Viet Cong didn't play. Viet Cong didn't play. The Honorable Mention, Yeah, they got an Honorable Mention. Hop Along is another one. Like, there's other... Honorable there's Mention. Honorable Mention. So, like...
1: What happened with Alabama Shakes before you... Knew?
0: Alabama... Sh- I don't know. Are I, they even on the list? I no, don't see. No.
1: So, I think... Yeah, it just goes to show they're not you know it, it, maybe there is maybe they're making a statement because if pitchfork like always they' they're, they're routinely looking for statements to make and and they're they're in the business of stirring up controversy they're in the they're not in the business of sort of like us with just being honest with what our favorite right. albums are right and be in you know factoring in some of the cultural perspectives but having like for like I had the world's a beautiful place is my eighth favorite album of the year it's probably not the eighth best album of the year. It, you, But it's my favorite. And so you look at a, a, a resource like Pitchfork, I mean, as successful as they become, they know how to stir the pot. And I think that's all, pretty much what they're doing.
0: They absolutely know how to stir the pot. They know exactly what they're doing with these lists. They want to spark a conversation. And hey, that's exactly what we're doing right now. They, yeah. they did a good job. They succeeded in their list. The other point I will make about them is... You know what? I actually totally lost my train of thought. Jake, what were you going to say?
1: Um, I was going to ask a question, actually. Okay. On this list, on the Pitchfork top 50 albums, what? so of the ones you've listened to, obviously, which album do you feel is the most overrated on the list, and which do you yep. feel is the most, perhaps, underrated?
0: All right, that is a fantastic question, because...
1: Let's go back and forth with overrated.
0: So I, I think the most overrated, just because it's so high, is number four is summertime oh six by vince staples a really good album Mm -hmm. i can't say i was surprised to see it at number four but i don't i personally don't think it's deserving of being at number four
1: i I will agree with you and i'll throw another one in there just for the sake of discussion but uh, vince staples this album i first of all didn't understand the complete and total hype it got and the amount of critical praise it received because Personally, I, I enjoyed his Hell Can Wait EP more than most of the material on here. I thought what was lacking on Summertime 06 was some of that, the bite and the really sharp production on that. And I personally wasn't all in on this Vince Staples album. As much as I liked Vince Staples before, I really mm-hmm. got into that EP. And with this one, I just didn't feel like he totally brought it. And I think and to give a shout out to uh, Anthony Fantano, whose review I watched of this. and he, I don't think it was overly negative. It was just sort of down the, the middle. He might have been a 6-7. He said... On none of these tracks, am I excited for the Vince, for the Vince verse. Am I, on none of them do I feel like Vince is commanding my attention. Like, honestly, can you name, like, a line, like, a a significant lyric on this album? Or one time where he really commanded your attention? No. You're right, you're right, dude.
0: You're, 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 honestly, and I like this album a little bit more than you do, and you got me there. Like, maybe there's some lines on, like... Uh, want to hang want to bang want to slam like north side long beach uh, north north yeah but like, those are just
1: little little hooks. hooks yeah like i don't ever feel like on this album vince takes the helm like he's sort of getting credit
0: for doing no you're absolutely right and for
1: the sake of argument just to include another one i'm gonna say that miguel's wild heart oh yeah is no. overrated it's number eight on this list yep. and to be fair to be completely transparent i didn't listen enough i probably listened two three four times me too
0: I just didn't love it But the reason why We didn't listen that much Jake Is because we didn't, didn't Keep our attention no. We didn't want to listen
1: And because Miguel Trashed my boy Frank Ocean That's Long-time
0: correct Long time friend of the pod Long time friend of the pod We're getting an ex- Guest editor of the blog We're Yes We're getting an exclusive Interview before His album drops He's actually announcing it Through our blog Keep an eye open So yeah Keep two eyes peeled For that I actually totally agree With that Miguel Overrated So Jake What do you think Is criminally underrated on this list.
1: Um, do you have one off the top of your I head? do have one. You go first because I have to, I have to okay. look through some of now, the, the annals not, of the list. I'm
0: not – everybody knows how much I love Father John Misty. We talked about the tests that were run with NASA that were inconclusive last week. We actually went um, and we asked someone not NASA. It's – <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who was it? Who did it we It was – uh, Refresh my memory. It, oh, it
0: was MIT. Did t- tests at oh, MIT. Right. Okay. Um, How
1: could I forget? This was a week of our time.
0: Exactly. I was fired from my job. It was. I was too. MIT reached out. They're like, hey, Sean, we listen to the pod. We're huge fans. We want to know why you love Father John so much. Uh, They brought me in. Also inconclusive. But what I wanted to get to is, this isn't going to be a Father John love fest like it was last week. You all know how much I love that album. Is number 12 on the pitchfork list a little too low? Yes, it should be higher. However... One I have to call out that I thought was just way too low was Deer Hunter, Fading Frontier at number 30. Like, this I this is the finest Beach House album. Beach House. The, this is the finest... The Trash Particle album. Yeah, exactly. This is the finest Deer Hunter since House and Digest. I mean, there was only one in between there, but whatever. Great album. At number 30, Pitchfork are usually huge Deer Hunter people. I'm surprised it didn't break the top 25.
1: I'm in agreement with you. I think it's too low. It's a really good album, and I think maybe that speaks more to them kind of pulling back a little bit from the indie rock thing.
0: I th- I think it's actually a huge reflection of that um, because you're not seeing the youth lagoons of the world make the list like they did in 2011. You're starting to get that where you're just like, okay, I'm seeing kind of a trend here. I, I, This is what Pitchfork's turning into for better or worse. I mean, right. it's... Who's well, they're deciding. controversy makers. They, that's what they, they are. are. And, that's a and
1: and, and and it's it's taste making, and it's just it's opinion pass off. As fa- it's what sort of annoys me about Pitchfork to begin with. And again, I don't think there's that much on this list that's overly controversial. I think one um, that I think is underrated in that it didn't make the top fifty, and it's yeah. Viet Cong. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree.
1: And and, and to, to be fair, we we did a little bit of trashing Viet Cong last. It, all it, you know all in good spirit, you know, no, right. no hard feelings. Obviously this album was, we both really enjoyed it, but it's, it's an honorable mention album. And I, I felt, I, I thought this was one of the defining rock albums of the year. Agreed. And it like with some interesting noise rock stuff, yeah. sort of a combination of a couple really influential indie bands in women. And who, who I, for, I
0: forget who else makes up that band. A
1: couple ba- it was a, It's a super group.
0: It's, yeah. A quote unquote super group, but Either no, way, you're right. If you're talking about an indie rock album, yeah. Um, that kind of pushed boundaries and was a little bit more experimental, something that you would think Pitchfork would be into, it was Viet Cong. They didn't make the top 50. You end up getting some of these artists in here who really got no hype throughout the year, and then all of a sudden they show up on the the top 50 list. It seems a little disingenuous on the part of Pitchfork to kind of throw these people in, claiming that they were on top of them the whole year. And maybe they were, maybe, maybe they weren't. But you know, if you're looking, if you follow Pitchfork on Twitter, I'm sorry, but you're not seeing any hype for Don Richard who came in at number 50. Who the hell is that? No one's heard of you. I'm sorry. My like, favorite
1: artist of all time, actually. Yeah. Sean. So, I mean, second
0: only to the Beatles. Jake's on top of it. So, I'm not going to I'm not going to take that lightly. We'll talk about this. <laughs> we'll take that off air. But who are you, Don Richard? I didn't hear about you at all.
1: Hopalong, here's an interesting thing Hopalong comes in in the honorable mentions. I think fair given that they gave Hopalong like a seven something. Yeah, no, I agree. It's nice. I that, it's that. nice to see that they added it into the list.
0: But what I will say is their ratings throughout the year don't make any sense when it comes to making their top 50. Perfect example, they threw Destroyer on here, who is on our top 25, granted. We like that album. They have Destroyer in here at number 43. And they gave, uh, that album a 7.6, but they're leaving off a best new music like, um, uh, Viet Cong, like what I, so it's always perplexing
1: and they've done this sense. year after they, year. They, they I mean... do it
0: every year. And it's like, wh- you have no rhyme or reason. Like, give us a little transparency into how you're deciding this. It's just, it's frustrating um, it's not going to change cuz you're right Jake they deal in controversy and taste being a tastemaker right. and that's that's all it is that's what it's going to be
1: Another interesting thing that I I, w- I was interested to see make the list and this is something that I was interested in because we did our list this year is a late 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 entry like RG Marshall
0: yep. I'm getting on the list And you know what I think that is such a pitchfork move Do you, in what way I think that it's this album just came out we want to prove how much we were on top of it by including it high up on our list.
1: Yeah, I, how high like, was it? I don't. It's remember.
0: like twenty something. Is it? Yeah.
1: I I good album. Really, it is a good, really album. really good. But I but it begs the question: Did they have the time to really digest it before Probably not. it was that high on the Probably list? Probably not. So I know. It kind of just... calls into the question the whole idea of end end of your list coming out in the beginning of December to begin with. Right. We should have basically like. Where I work, for example, our our work year begin, our uh, financial year starts in September, ends in August. I think the music fiscal year should end in November, yeah, start in December.
0: I agree. Why I, not just have I a know. list
1: from December to right?
0: Because you it's, get it's easier. You get albums that come out in December. What Jake? We've just had three albums that came out on like the eighteenth that are just not in any yeah. conversation right now. Some I good think ones. Baroness. Baroness. Um, what was the other one that just came out too? There was Archie Marshall, which Archie... has been not
1: receiving much press, and then there the, the Jeremiah album. Oh, yeah. Well, I actually made it too. It did. You're so, right.
0: I mean, do I... you pronounce
1: his name Jeremiah?
0: I think it's Jeremiah. Or so. I don't. I, I don't even really. know. I think it's like
1: Jeremy said with like a.
0: It's like it's like Jeremiah, but like instead of Jeremiah, you just kind of die at the end. You go Jeremiah,
1: Jeremy Jeremiah. I think it's like it's like maybe the way it sounded when someone called him. Hey, Jeremiah.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I can see that. I think that's what it is. I know. Yeah, Jerem, Jerem, is a pretty accurate summation of his album. Is it's, it's meh. It
1: was a yeah. It was it's okay. meh. I mean, maybe we're not exactly the demographic. I'm not so no, into we're not. that style of no, rap we're necessarily.
0: Not. To be fair. Anyways, I think just to sum up, because uh, I think we're we're probably out of time, is Pitchfork is gonna do what Pitchfork wants. They're gonna stimulate conversation. It's what they just did right now. And I think the thing to remember is if you like something, just listen to it. Yeah. Don't worry about what Pitchfork says or what anybody else says about it. If you like an artist, you like a band, just listen to it. That's okay. what matters. Agreed.
1: And check out other sources. Check out yep. a Metacritic. Check out Spin. Check out Anthony Fantano, The Needle Drop. Yep. There's Stereo a-
0: Gump. There's a lot of other check good Check out Jake and resources. Sean's
1: untitled blog slash podcast. Exactly. So. There's a lot of – there's there are plenty of sources out there. And I think Pitchfork has sort of established themselves deservingly enough as sort of like the leading voice in indie music and in sort of modern taste making in terms of, of in the musical sphere. But I mean, there are other resources. I personally really like going to Metacritic because they great. have a cool sort of aggregated score. of yep. Rotten Tomatoes of music. They also have stuff on games and stuff. It's worth checking out.
0: Yep, it is. Definitely. D- definitely check out other sources. Um, you know, stay knowledgeable. But I think... Uh, that's it for us this week it is we will we'll be back with our next pod um, in a week which will be all about our most anticipated albums of Mm. 2016 just be some things to keep your eye on in in the coming year Um, if
1: you listen maybe tweet at one of us yep uh, some albums you're looking forward to and you
0: can tweet at me at Sean double underscore Hal that's S-E-A-N double underscore H O W E.
1: And I'm at Deschuteneer. Um, a nice, easy name. It's phonetic spelling. Uh, D E capital S C H U I T E N E E R. That's D E S C H U I T E N E E R. Two E's at the end. A
0: wildly Um it might be easiest to just find Sean Howe and then you'll you'll find Jake that way. Oh uh, taking
1: the reins. Fine, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I mean <laughs> taking the reins. No, this is it's become clear that this is a power struggle. <laughs> right DM me on, on Twitter and, and let me know who you liked better on this pod and if Sean's power struggle came through as a as a theme throughout because I certainly felt the tension here in the room.
0: Uh with that being said, you'll see more of this power struggle next week. We'll talk to you then.
1: Thanks everybody.